other countries in Europe. You're listening to the news on RTHK. With music, news and information, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3 on Thursday the 17th of February. This is Peter Lewis with the business headlines. Hong Kong's coronavirus cases and the daily death toll on Wednesday reached a record high as the Omicron outbreak worsened. Hong Kong officials reported 4,285 new cases yesterday, almost three times the number recorded on Tuesday with another 7,000 preliminary positive infections. President Xi Jinping said the Hong Kong government must take the main responsibility in tackling the pandemic and he urged them to stabilise the situation as soon as possible. The SAR has earmarked 433.5 million Hong Kong dollars in the latest round of relief for the hard-hit tourism industry. It's the seventh round of support for the sector under the government's anti-epidemic fund. Travel agencies will each receive a one-off subsidy of at least $50,000, depending on their size, while each staff member will get $7,500, along with freelance tour guides and escorts. The US has accused China of causing serious harm to workers and businesses around the world with its trade policies. In its annual review of China's compliance with the deal that gave it membership of the World Trade Organization in 2001, The U.S. says China's embrace of a state-led, non-market approach to the economy and trade has increased rather than decreased over time, and the mercantilism that it generates has harmed and disadvantaged U.S. companies and workers often severely. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and the Shah from BBVA Research with a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold at Safepro Group. Money Talk on U.S. stocks turned positive and Treasuries rallied after the release of the minutes of the Federal Reserve's January meeting. In those minutes, policymakers signaled they were ready to soon implement the first interest rate increase since 2018 in the face of soaring inflation. They also acknowledged a faster pace of interest rate increases was likely warranted than in the last tightening cycle when the Fed increased its main policy rate by a quarter of a point in December 2015 and then held off on another adjustment until the end of 2016. A majority of officials noted that if inflation doesn't abate sufficiently, there's scope to tighten monetary policy at a faster pace than they currently anticipate. However, following the release, traders slightly dialed back their expectations for how aggressively the US central bank would tighten policy this year. Fed funds futures markets were pricing in just over six quarter point interest rate increases by the Fed this year, down from seven earlier this week. And the odds of a 50 basis point hike in March dropped from around 70% earlier in the day to just below 50% by the close. The S&P 500 rebounded from a decline of 1% to close 0.1% higher at 4,475. The Dow, which was down almost 350 points at one stage, closed just 55 points lower at 34,934. The Nasdaq Composite Index slid 0.1% to 14,124. In Europe, 
The stock 600 index fell 0.1%, as did the FTSE 100 in London. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng index climbed 363 points, or 1.5%, to 24,719 while the tech index jumped 2.3%. And on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite added 0.6% to 3,466. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil tumbled over 2% at one stage before rebounding slightly to $92 a barrel after Iran's top nuclear negotiator said on Twitter that after weeks of intensive talks, we are closer than ever to an agreement. Gold recovered most of Tuesday's losses and is trading at $1,870 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell one basis point to 2.04%. And the US dollar extended its losses overnight. The euro is at $1.13 and three-quarter cents. The Japanese yen is trading at 115 and a half against the dollar. The British pound buys $1.35 and three quarter cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 60 cents. The Chinese yuan is trading at 6.33 and a quarter in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is unchanged, just above $44,000. Around Asian stock markets this morning, first of all in Australia, the ASX 200 is up about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about uh, half a percent. A Cosby in South Korea moving in the opposite direction, up about 0.2%. And futures markets indicating a 50-point gain for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Eight oh nine over in our Queensway studio, we have our regular Thursday commentator, personal wealth advisor, NCO von Farr. Morning, NCO. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone, we have Lashar, Chief Asia Economist at BBVA Research. Morning to you, Shark. Morning, Peter. Uh, let's start with these uh, coronavirus cases in Hong Kong. As you heard earlier, 4,285 new cases yesterday and another 7,000 preliminary positive infections. President Xi Jinping said the Hong Kong government must take the main responsibility in tackling the in tackling the coronavirus pandemic, and he urged them to stabilise the situation as soon as possible. He said authorities must mobilise all forces and resources that can be mobilised, take all necessary measures, and protect Hong Kong's people's lives and health, as well as ensure Hong Kong's social stability. Um, NGO, first of all, let me ask you, what do you make of those remarks coming just after, just a day after, in fact, Carrie Lam's reaffirmed that Hong Kong has no plan for a citywide lockdown? Well, nor did China, China uh, because China has had citywide lockdowns, but not a national lockdown. So she's kind of consistent, frankly. Um, I do think, though, that the the basically just to, to, to step back a little bit from the fray of the numbers that we can only improve from here on in finally herd immunity is going to start kicking in at a later date because more and more people get sick so more and more people get immune i don't think there's a lot you can do about that whether lockdowns or pills or anything whether it's national policy or not this is just the way things happen and i would also say that under she's his suggestions well let's not forget that in 1968 69 hong kong had this worldwide it had its dose of the worldwide flu and sort David Trench, I'm sure he had to do what the government in the UK told him to do also. 
But uh, to get to herd immunity, we've got to see a lot more cases yet, haven't we? Right. And also and that the will happen. And, that will uh, happen. That's, uh, that's, 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 um, that's already, the, this is what the mathematics of contagion book tells me, that the um, that this number rises. It's like a financial market crisis. These things feed on each other. Then at some point, uh, as we all know, then enough people are sick that the bugs just can't bite anymore. So are you saying that we should just let ourselves get to that point as quickly as possible? Well, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I'm not going to cross what, what China wants, but I, I'm just saying that regardless of what China does, even in China, I just don't think that the – it's like sticking a finger into a dam. I don't think it's, it can really do a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Shark, what, what do you think? What, do you think we've got to brace ourselves for, for more draconian uh, measures here in uh, Hong Kong? Uh, I think the, apparently, I think the central government want to put more pressure to make this uh, uh, lo the Hong Kong government to make everything under control. But uh, I agree with Angel. I think this, the situation is uh, very, uh, very difficult. Uh, I don't know why they are, if they are not going to implement this uh, citywide lockdown, why they can uh, make things uh, better in a short time. So I think now Hong Kong definitely in a very difficult time. Uh, whether we are going to implement this uh, citywide lockdown, I think it's, uh, it's a very difficult decision because uh, now in the other place, uh, people, they are trying to liberalize uh, their policies. But now here, if we implement this uh, citywide lockdown, uh, I think that's not good for this uh, international image for, mm. for Hong Kong because people tend to believe this place is not very safe place to do business, right? I think... Uh, they must uh, uh, take into consideration this international uh, pressure as well. We've, we've just, had, sorry, Andrew. I'm sorry to interrupt. May I just add, I, I also, along with what um, Loshka is saying, I, I, you just can't do a deal with nature. It doesn't work. You can't do it. You could do a deal with us bankers, but you can't do a deal with nature. And so it will take its course regardless of what happens. It doesn't mean don't try, but it just ain't going to help a hell of a lot, frankly. Companies are taking the same view, aren't they? Because they're moving people out. We've seen Citibank, Bank of America, Pernod Ricard, not Mandarin Oriental. Not just for Oriental. this reason. Not just for this reason, my friend. I think that what's happening is that if you don't like change, you will like irrelevance even less. And I'm afraid that including the time of the British here, just to keep it fair. We've had a lot of things that have not been changed. Um, we also have a government that, frankly, in Hong Kong, I at least believe, is falling over itself to actually ruin the one country, two systems system itself by falling over itself with preemptive obedience, like ruining English before before the Beijing even said, Beijing has ever told us to stop speaking English, but we most certainly decided we wanted to do this. So I don't think, I think that the pandemic is more exacerbates the situation, but I don't, we can't just blame that for people leaving. Shark, what do you make of the relief measures uh, that have been announced so far? There's going to be a subsidy, subsidy scheme for unemployed people, 10,000 Hong Kong dollars, uh, if you earn less than $30,000 a month. Uh, we've also seen now some money earmarked for the tourism industry. Is this going to help uh, repair some of the damage or is it just a drop in the ocean? I think that definitely that can, can help a little bit, but uh, uh, I don't think that that can 
be very helpful. That means uh, in future, I expect they are going to have more relief measures to support the economy. Remember, in the first quarter of 2020, at that time, the Hong Kong GDP declined by around 9%. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I think that in terms of all these uh, uh, restrictions, in terms of this, uh, the damage to the economy, I'm sorry to say this is even worse. So uh, hopefully I will be wrong, <laughs> but uh, if uh, things continued, uh, I think that this uh, first quarter we are going to see maybe double-digit decline in really? terms of the GDP. Double-digit decline this quarter? I think it's uh, very likely, because uh, if uh, this thing continue, people said uh, we cannot see the peak of this wave until yeah. uh, sometimes in March, and so that means the first quarter will be there, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, what do you make of these relief measures? I like his forecast that March is going to be the end of the quarter. That's great. I'm 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 right with you there. Um, I think that they again are a they're trying to kick the wall. I don't think it's going to help a lot. The chickens are coming home to roost, Peter. For instance, take this shortage of doctors in Hong Kong. This is one of our pet sort of peeves. That well, we have a closed shop. So how could we have more doctors here if the shop is closed? We could have become the the medical center for all of China had we allowed the world's best and brightest is coming in. Our only hope in Hong Kong is not a little bit of money thrown at the, those lowly poor people, so to speak, but actually that more mainlanders, some of whom I know these top, top professionals come in and really start rejuvenating the place, and they will. We just have to then listen to what they want us to do here in Hong Kong to get the education policy back on track and all that. Shark, what is the risk of um, employment really becoming entrenched here mm. in Hong Kong? Because um, a lot of the jobs that have been lost aren't going to come back, mm. are they? Because the businesses have closed down. Um, a lot of these people are unskilled workers. Is there a risk that we're now going to have structurally much higher unemployment mm. for a while? According to the experience of the past two years, it seems the job market is very resilient here in Hong Kong. I remember at the peak, uh, uh, the market unemployment rate was as high as 7%, but in two years, less than two years, now declined to uh, below 4%. It seems that the labor market is very resilient, Mm. but uh, I agree with you, if this kind of situation continues for a longer time, and we don't know, uh, one can we bring this kind of a pandemic under control? We don't know. One can we open the border to, to mainland China, to the rest of the world, and then the, the unemployment rate will go higher again. So, yeah, that's why I think uh, uh, the outlook is not that great. Well, let's move on. The U.S. has accused China of causing serious harm to workers and businesses around the world with its trade policies. In its annual review of China's compliance with its mem- uh, of the deal that gave it membership of the World Trade Organization back in 2001, the U.S. cites Beijing's subsidies for injuries, industries it deems important, restrictions on foreign countries' abilities, uh, companies' abilities to do business in China, and lack of protection for intellectual property rights as impediments to free and fair trade. And so what, what do you make of this? We've come to the end now of the phase one trade deal. It's clear that uh, China has fallen well short of the commitments it made mm. under that trade deal. Is the U.S. right to be upset? 
Well, yes, it is, because China has been cheating. We all know that, but China has no monopoly on cheating. Um, take a look at the monopolies in the U.S., how they're cheating the big four on disallowing innovation and imports into the U.S. At the same time, I would stress, and this is this book that I keep on grinding on about, apologies to our long-time listeners, that I did show that it's the U.S. multinationals who are causing the trade deficit. It's very simple. If Apple is producing in China and imports those goods from China back to the U.S., then how then we have a trade deficit in America because of more imports from China. I just wonder whether Joe Biden has increased and kept the tariffs on, the, on all imports from China or just those that are China, China imports and not those from Apple, Microsoft, etc. And does this show that tariffs don't work in effect? Quite. They, what they do is they increase inflation. So, ta-da, monetary policy yet again can't help by re because raising interest rates isn't going to reduce tariffs. Shark, I mean, it's certainly true, isn't it, that the U.S. has almost an insatiable appetite for imported goods, particularly from China. The consumer loves buying them. But then at the same time, China hasn't helped either because its model hasn't really changed from being export dependent, has it? Despite all the talk about it boosting its own consumption and its own, uh, its own domestic sector, it really does rely very heavily on exports still, the economy. Uh, I think you're right, because uh, if you look at the Chinese uh, export uh, in the past uh, uh, couple of years, that one even increased uh, in terms of the total value and also in terms of the global market share. So that means uh, now the Chinese growth quite rely on this uh, uh, export rather than domestic demand. Uh, of course, uh, I think that this one, the main reason is due to the pandemic. The, because of pandemic, the Chinese domestic consumption is not that good, so they um, become more reliant on this export to maintain a decent growth rate. But in future, definitely they need to change. But I think the priority for China is that they need to find a way out how to exit the current uh, uh, zero tolerance uh, policy of this pandemic. I think this is a very difficult question for China as well. So mm. unless China can solve this one, they, they cannot get rid of their over-reliance on this export. So, Enzia, where do we go from here? The, the U.S. points out in this report that it's actually won all 27 cases it's brought against China at the WTO, but then it hasn't really got seen any meaningful reforms or received the remedies that it feels that it ought to have. We had the phase one trade deal, uh, which has fallen well short. Where do we go from here? More of the same. The U.S. lawyers will make a lot of money off of defending the U.S. In, in the WTO courts. I just don't think, again, I think it's a little bit like trying to help a poor, some workers here by chucking 10000 or $12,000 at them. I just see those moves as being quite ineffectual. Um, I, I th and I, that's on both sides of the fence. I'm not siding with one side or the other. The Chinese are cheating, but the Americans aren't exactly God's gift of fairness either on this side. Um, and I think also, for instance, the, the, again, this shocking article in the FT two days ago about how the big four in the U.S. restrict innovation in America, and I, I'm sure then also restrict imports into America of better ch products from China. Mm. Um, Shark, we did have some inflation data out. I'd like to get your thoughts on. Uh, China's consumer price index rose 0.9% year on year in January compared to 1.5% uh, the previous month. Uh, core inflation rose 1.2%. Uh, 
the same as in November and December. It seems, compared to what we're seeing elsewhere in the world, the inflation in China is pretty tame. Uh, I think the, uh, if you look at the Chinese CPI, uh, it's mainly dominated by food price, especially for the pork price. Uh, but if you look at the PPI, uh, I like to say that in January we see some signal of easing of this uh, PPI inflation, but still the pressure is there because uh, if you look at the uh, rest of the world, uh, in terms of this commodity price, uh, I think many people can still expect this uh, commodity inflation uh, will mm. have further, expression, uh, further pressure on the general uh, price level. So I'm not, of course, uh, now it seems in China this inflation problem is not that uh, serious. But uh, I think that looking ahead, uh, maybe I, I like to say that China can no longer maintain this uh, uh, image of a very low inflation environment forever. So, so pressure is there. And Jay, what are your thoughts? Very quickly, that there's a massive margin squeeze going on. If the if the producer prices, the stuff that producers pay, are rising ten times faster at nine percent than the consumer prices of 0.9 percent, that's telling me there's a massive margin squeeze, which of course then ties in with um, Lushia's, um what I call the cost push inflation, the rising mm. commodity prices policy can't help. The asset allocation implication has got to be by China because they have to ease change of economic time. Excess supply of money is going to loom there and in America it's excess demand for money, what they want. So you've got to buy China. So okay. America. Great. Well, thank you very much. You heard their personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Lashar, Chief Asia Economist at BBVA Research. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. 24 and a half on the phone now from Taipei is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. Morning, Ross. Good morning. Morning. I wanted to get your thoughts actually on the big geopolitical um, issue of the moment, which is obviously uh, Ukraine. Russian forces, according to the U.S. State Department, are still amassed on the border uh, with Ukraine. What, what's your assessment of what's going on there? Well, it seems like Putin certainly knows uh, the right ways to annoy, for lack of a better word, the, the Western countries, the United States and uh, NATO. Uh, he's been doing this uh, throughout his 20-plus years as president. He knew how to do it in 2014 when uh, Russian troops took uh, Crimea and occupied the eastern part of Ukraine, and he's continuing to do so. Uh, people say he can't sustain an invasion. Uh, the cost might be too high, sanctions. No, he might not need to go that far. He may have already achieved some of his goals, uh, but the situation is, is clearly unresolved. Uh, U.S. officials, uh, Secretary of State Blinken in, in recent hours saying that Putin still might pull the trigger, even though it seems like the, the February 16th prediction has fallen away. Uh, but, uh, you know, Putin just really knows how to cause disruption and, and disunity among the Western countries. So do you think that's what he is trying to do or do you think he actually will invade Ukraine? Uh, invading the, the entire country, occupying it, that, that's probably unlikely. Uh, it's certainly possible that it might expand uh, the currently occupied territories in, in, in the eastern part. Uh, it could 
take, a, take an action specifically targeting uh, the military of Ukraine, such as uh, their, their military bases. Uh, so he still has a number of possibilities, again, despite uh, the Western countries talking about sanctions and dispatch of uh, a few more troops, not to Ukraine per se, but to NATO members that border uh, Russia. It, it seems that at the moment, uh, a lot of the, the cards are still in, in Putin's hands. So, so what does he hope to achieve? What, what is his strategy here then? Well, one, he clearly doesn't want more NATO expansion. And even though, understandably, the United States and some of the other countries are reluctant to, to make a public uh, commitment or guarantee, uh, we see some of the European leaders speaking or meeting, uh, such as Macron, uh, with Putin. Uh, it's, it's easy to imagine that, that some of those leaders, uh, or in the case of Macron, should he be reelected, uh, new German chancellor. It's easy to see that, that, that that's a commitment they may have made, if not in so many words, but in reality that if, if a country such as Ukraine uh, tried to apply to NATO in, in, in the coming years, that there's just no chance that NATO would expand. Uh, again, another one of his goals was just disunity, and, and uh, Putin has already achieved that as well. And, and some internal uh, chaos, uh, which might be unfair for Ukraine, but uh, uh, yeah, they have to spend money responding, uh, the money they don't really have is why they're asking for aid from Western countries, uh, people leaving, whether that's foreigners or foreign business people, uh, foreign diplomats who have uh, either moved uh, to, to the West further away from the Russian border or left the country entirely. Uh, so you know, causing this kind of chaos within Ukraine also serves Putin's calls. Why has this suddenly happened now, though? It seems to be a, a crisis that has almost blown up over out of nothing because nothing has really changed, has it, in the last couple of months? It's not like NATO was about to admit to Ukraine. It wasn't as if Ukraine was even asking to join uh, NATO imminently. So, so why suddenly now? It's a great question. And uh, Putin first dispatched large numbers of their troops nearly a year ago. Uh, March and April, and then slowly pulled them away, only to do it again in, in, in the fourth quarter of, of last year and continuing now into this year. But we have to keep in mind that uh, Putin, uh, given his own background in intelligence, he's always up to something, whether that's uh, what happened in, in 2008 in Georgia, in 2014 in Ukraine, earlier in Chechnya, uh, more more recently interference, not just in the U.S. election, but uh, accusations of interference in elections around Europe as well, uh, making deals with China, being in Syria. Uh, so he, he's it's constant. Right? It, it, it's not such a necessarily a sudden move. Uh, and he looks at what options he has. And uh, there, there's the, the accusation that he does a lot of this to really divert attention from uh, domestic problems, right? mm. the lack of democracy, the unfair elections, uh, slow economic growth, the heavy reliance on commodity exports, uh, the, the real lack of a manufacturing economy. Uh, th that's also probably a strong factor as well. It's a big problem for investors because obviously it's causing a lot of volatility in equity markets. It's also driving up uh, the price of oil um, as well. Presumably it's a big problem for the Biden administration as well because as well as the obviously the security issues for the same reason it's it's driving up inflation in the u.s yeah, that's a great point as well and uh, at the risk of being a cynic that could be one reason why so 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 many of the western leaders including 
but most notably President Biden emphatically said in, in, in recent weeks and months, we're not going to send troops to fight Russia in Ukraine or over Ukraine. Uh, so they don't want a, a larger war. Uh, it's unfortunate for the people in the government of Ukraine that the best they could hope is going to be uh, more military aid uh, as well as non-lethal aid maybe sanctions, but sanctions are not going to help them after they've been attacked, if that's what Putin actually does. Uh, but yeah, the factors you mentioned, such as the economic factors, is probably uh, something that has weighed heavily on the minds of Western leaders as they try to decide what to do. Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Safebro Group in Taiwan. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets right now, the ASX 200 in Australia is up 0.4%. Stocks in Japan moving in the other direction, down about a third of a percent for the Nikkei 225. The Cosby has risen about three quarters of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 50 points as well. And that oil price that we were just talking about is around about $92 a barrel right now. Thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning. Stay tuned for the COVID updates with... Jim Gould and Paul Zimmerman right after the news. The weather forecast, cloudy with a few rain patches. Maximum temperature is going to be around 70 degrees, 17 degrees. Windy in the next few days. It's going to become cold appreciably with a heavier rain on Saturday. Temperature right now is 15 degrees, 89% relative humidity. And there is a strong monsoon signal in force. 8.32, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. A study has found that 98% of people attending allergy clinics were deemed fit for a COVID jab. Dr. Philip Lee, a clinical assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Medicine, led a research team which analyzed data from eight public and one private clinic set up for allergy sufferers who wanted screening for a jab. He said the clinic saw some 10,000 people, and he wanted to reassure the public about the safety of both the Sinovac and the BioNTech vaccines. That about 98% of our patients who are coming to our vaccine allergy safety clinics, despite having histories of severe reactions, fears of um, severe drug, food, or other um, allergic reactions, even anaphylaxis, in the end were deemed fit and also followed up found to be very safe to get um, both forms of vaccinations in Hong Kong. A patient's rights group has expressed concern about the government's designated clinics for COVID patients. Alex Lamb, chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices, said it will mean people with mild COVID symptoms will be going out into the community to attend these clinics. He also questioned whether 300 dedicated taxis would be enough to transport the estimated 1,000 people a day who could attend these clinics. First, you need uh, 1,000 taxis you know, to, to bring and, and uh, these people to the, the clinic and back to the home. Uh, I think this is a serious uh, logistic uh, arrangement, which is... Uh, to me, impossible. And, and secondly, you know, having this 1,000 people traveling around Hong Kong, in fact, the person traveling around Hong Kong is a disaster. Hong Kong has reported 4,285 new COVID cases, yet another daily record, and more than double Tuesday's figures.
The territory has also reported 7,000 preliminary positive infections. Health authorities said 17 COVID patients are critically ill. Overseas, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has announced a phased easing of anti-COVID restrictions. However, he stressed that Germans should continue to wear face masks and asked people to remain cautious as the pandemic was not yet over. Mr. Scholz said though daily infection rates remain high, the outlook was more positive than a few weeks ago. What's been achieved is that infections have increased less, and I think we can say we've achieved what we wanted, to protect the health and life of citizens, to avoid a lockdown, with the contact measures that were put in place to ensure exactly this situation. That's also the basis now for an optimistic outlook and the removal of a large part of the current restrictions in Germany, in three stages, bit by bit, by the start of the spring. Many of Sydney's most famous beaches remain closed today after the Australian city's first fatal shark attack in nearly 60 years. Beaches including Bondi, Bronte and Coogee were closed as a precaution after a man was attacked by a shark yesterday off Little Bay Beach. You're listening to the news on RTHK. 